Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Well, first of all, that was great. Second of all, how am I supposed to follow that up? Um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, but no, congratulations, guys. God bless you. Um, Tyler, you're about to learn what it means to marry up, buddy. Um, so uh, <laughs> there you go. That was the right response, too. You're off to a good start. Um, all right, before we get going, one, Gary Harrison handed me a, uh, a note. Somebody found a watch in the parking lot, so if you are suddenly missing a watch, just come see me afterwards and I'll get it to you. That's one. Number two, um, let me go ahead and, and address another elephant in the room, which is this. As you know, you know the last couple weeks have been really tough and down, and, and everyone here just felt like there's been a death in the family, and you know, and it's just been like last weekend was like a was like a funeral service and then you know all week long the office has been like a morgue in here and all that kind of stuff but just to keep you updated um we have kept our word and we sent an offer to rick to sit down and reconcile um that's biblical uh, the bible teaches that if brother has something against you you're to go to them and say hey let's work this out and so we have done that and so be praying for that that's one uh number two um I understand what that's like. I mean, once the kind of shock and everything kind of wore off of everything, because I wasn't in here when it happened. I was back in the children's ministry with Megan. Mom and dad were in Uganda, and so I, you know, I, I come out and find out, and I'm like, what? And so it, I, I waited a couple hours, spoke to Rick, went home, and was just in the, you know, kind of shock. But then the couple hours after that wore off, I said, okay, I, what do I do here? And so I went to a, a blog, leadership blog, church leadership blog of a church leader I really respect, Tom Rainier, and uh, head of Lifeway. And, and, and I, I started by and said, well, what, what do I do? There's obviously going to be a church split. So how do you minister to people? What do you do in the wake of a church split? And he, and he said, well, it's like a death in the family, and you have to treat it that way, and you minister people to minister to people like they've experienced a death. And I said, okay, all right, that's what we'll do. But while I was on that, all these lists of articles, so I kept flipping through them. And this is about the only thing that gave me a, a, a giggle this week under that list of dealing with death in the family. It was a list of 15 strange things that have actually happened at funerals. I thought, okay, I don't have time to read this, but I need to read this. And so I clicked on it, and it was like, so they polled all these pastors, like, what's the strangest thing that ever happened to the funeral? Three different pastors said they fell into the grave at the graveside service. I assume they slipped. Didn't like cannonball or anything. I assume they slipped. Um, but my favorites, my favorite was this one service they had, and at the end of the service, the daughter was going to release a dove, and so she released a dove, but a hawk was nearby, and um, <laughs> so I was sitting there going, I thought I had a bad week. Um, I've never fallen into the grave. Um, anyway. Here's the deal. Here's where we're at. Enough of this gloominess. Um, not even God changes the past. So it's time to move forward. It is time to be faithful and do our job as Christians and to worship and be glad for every moment of life he has given us because every moment is a gift. 
And we need to remember, and this will be part of this new sermon series, that we're always to remain optimistic because no matter, if you're a Christian, no matter how tough you have it right now, no matter how tough you have it in the weeks ahead, and there are tough weeks ahead for our church, you know, we're trying to figure out how to keep the lights on and keep our word to make sure we get the veterans taken care of and all that kind of stuff, and those are going to be tough days. But the simple fact is, we keep in mind this, if you're a Christian, every single one of you has a happy ending. Every single one of us has a happy ending. Every single us, one of us will go to be with Jesus and be happy for all eternity. What is there to be gloomy about, right? So that's where we are. And we're starting a new sermon series tonight. It'll be for the next three weeks. And it's called Confused. What to do when you don't know what to do. And so we sat down and talked about this. We need to do a sermon series like this for several reasons. One, because everybody's confused, shocked right now if everything's going on. But also just in life, we face these decisions. Job-related, relationship-related, finance-related. We all face this dilemma. What to do? What do we do? This looks good and this looks good. This makes sense and this makes sense. I don't know what to do. That's tough. And so I started to dig into the Bible and started to look at a lot of especially uh, websites and blogs for Christian counselors, professional Christian counselors who deal with this. What do you do when somebody's in your office and they're sitting there and goes, I just don't know what to do. I've got this kid. I love him, but I want to kill him. I've got, you know, I've got these things. I don't know what to do. What do I do? And so I kind of got together some biblical principles. I got together six biblical principles we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks. And so, and so tonight I'm going to be talking about two um, to, next week, Dad will talk about two, and then I'll talk about two the week after that. But before we get there, we have to dispel of some myths that we carry around. Now, a myth is something we believe is true without any evidence of it being true. That's a myth. So let's talk about myths for a second. We have to dispel of a few myths. And I actually got this from a pastor I listened to a lot, too, because he's a great leader named Andy Stanley. And he, he had this in another sermon series about another subject, but I thought... It pertains here. And so here are the three myths we need to dispel. Number one, you've all heard this. Finish the sentence for me. Experience makes you wiser. <clears throat> Wrong. Experience does not necessarily make you wiser. Think about this. How many good, smart, educated people do you know make the same stupid mistakes over and over and over again? You see these people, they rack up credit card debt once, they get it paid off, they rack it up again. They pay that off, they rack it up again. You see a person jump from relationship to relationship to relationship. I had a woman sit in my office one time, she's like, I don't understand it, I've been through these three relationships. They're just nothing but jerks out there. I said, well, you picked them. The common denominator here is you. So this is the deal. Experience does not necessarily make you wiser. Experience can make you older, it can make you meaner, it can make you angrier, but it will not necessarily make you wiser. Only evaluated experience makes you wiser. Only when you go through something and then take a step back, take a breath and go, okay, what did I do wrong there? And you need to concentrate on what you did wrong because here's the deal. Only God can change other people. You can't. You can only worry about yourself. So you need to take a step back and go, okay, what did I do wrong? And that's painful. None of us want to own that. But you have to if you're going to make progress and not make that mistake again. Myth number two. 
Time is against me. I hear this all the time. All my friends are married. I, 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 I can't let this guy go. You don't even like him, but I can't, but I gotta get married. All my friends are having babies. I need to have a baby before it's too late. Yeah, but you're $30,000 deep in credit card debt, $50,000 deep student loan. How are you going to feed this baby? And if you don't deal with that first, here's the deal. Here's what a lot of young couples don't realize. Those babies grow up, and they eat a lot. All right, Kenny, my, my son, teenager, I take him out to eat. And I was like, how is your belly not bloated like you're pregnant? You're just, he's just shoving stuff down his gullet. It's amazing. Time is not against you. Time is your friend. Time is your friend. Take time. Take as much time as you can to make a decision. We'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about that. Because if you rush to make a decision, you will make poor decisions. If we make decisions out of raw emotion, in the moment, all kind of stuff, usually a bad decision. Myth number three. If I know better, I'll do better. Well, I'm a Christian, I've read the Bible, so therefore I know what is right, so therefore I will do what is right. Really? So you're living a sinless life now, are you? Huh? I can't live a sinless morning. So there's no way, just because you know better. And look, if you've raised teenagers, you should know this. Because you sit there with a kid, and what do you do? Look, son, look, daughter, dear, understand that if you run with the wrong crowd, eventually you'll be tempted to do the wrong thing. And what it's, what's, everyone who's raised teens knows the response, I know. <laughs> and then what happens? They do it. And you're like, I thought you knew. Just because you know it doesn't mean you'll do it. It takes more than knowledge. It takes discipline. It takes maturity. It takes more than that. It takes a lot. Those three myths we need to get out of the way. Now, when I was going through this, and I was looking through the scriptures, part of the problem with this is the scriptures dealing with this are kind of all over the place. They're hard to kind of nail down into one. And so it's amazing. So I just decided, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to Romans. And the reason I'm going to go to Romans is, is, is it's appropriate. Romans, here's what's going on in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, Paul is, and if you don't know who Paul was, Paul was a church planter, basically, commissioned directly by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you're going to go plant churches for me out in the non-Jewish world. You're going to go to Italy and Greece and Turkey and those places, and you're going to plant churches for me. And so Paul did that, but then he ended up in prison. And so one of the places he wanted to go and eventually did was Rome. But before he got to Rome, he heard about this church in Rome. And in this church in Rome, here's what happened. If you go to Acts 2, you'll see that there was this thing called Pentecost. That's when all the, all the Jews had traveled from all over the world to come to the temple in Jerusalem. And this is the time God sends the Holy Spirit down, and Peter starts preaching to them. And all these Jews who are there come to Christ. And then they go back home. And so all these Jews go and they establish churches, and one is established in Rome. So the Roman church at first is a Jewish Christian church. But then eventually... They make non-Jewish converts, and now it's a mixed church. But the Jews led the church because the Jews were there first. That's typically how it works in a church. Andy Stanley likes to say he's got a church of 30,000. He said, I'm not even the smartest on staff. I just got here first. That's why I'm the boss. And so they're leading this, but then they start fussing. The Jews 
And the Jewish Christians begin arguing over Jesus. And the next thing you know, Nero, the emperor, says, I've had enough of all this fussing. All the Jews out of Rome now. He kicks them all out for a couple years. And a couple years later, his wife persuades him, I'll let him back in. So he lets him back in. So they come back in. And they find that the non-Jews have been running the church for the last few years. They're like, hey, wait a minute. We established this church. We're back. We're ready to run it. And the non-Jews said, no, we're good. And so they started clashing. And so Paul writes this letter to try to calm them down. And when we get to chapter 8, verses 24 through 28, here's what he writes. For in this hope we were saved. Hope being the eternity with Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it, what? Patiently. The Bible uses the word patient or patiently around 50 times. We're going to talk about that. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That means the Spirit of God is praying for you guys at the throne. You ever, you ever realize that? And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now, the things I want to pick out there, there's all kinds of things to go there. But, and, and hope, we'll talk about hope in a couple weeks. That hope that Paul always comes back to. But two of the words that Paul uses again and again... Here in this divided church, but other places. Patience and prayer. Patience and prayer. The biblical writers are really big on patience and prayer. And there's a reason for that. Patience. Patience. Patience is peace plus time. Patience is peace plus time. You've never met a patient person who is not at peace with themselves, have you? A patient person is not warring within themselves. They're at peace. They're at calm. Now, I'm going to talk about how you get that calm here in a minute, because a lot of us don't have it. And the construction around here doesn't help. But we'll talk about that. But time first. Take your time. A wise leader once told me anytime he's given an assignment, the first question he asks is, how much time do I have? Because I'm going to take as much as I can. That's one, because everything becomes clearer with time. The more time you spend, as long as you're at peace, the clearer things will become. So whenever you're faced with any kind of dilemma, the first thing you've got to do is say, okay, I'm not going to make a decision now if I don't have to. I'm going to take my time because rush decisions equal regretful days ahead. Rush decisions now equal regretful days ahead. Almost every bad decision you've made in your life has been a rush decision. Take your time. Always take as much time as you can. Now, I was sitting here thinking, okay, hmm. How do I illustrate this in a visual way that you get this? Because men especially are visual creatures. How do I get this across to men that they need to take their time? And then it hit me. All you need to know in life can come from two things. The Bible and the outlaw Josie Wells starring Clint Eastwood. 
Greatest Western ever made. And so if you've never seen the outlaw Josie Wells, I'm embarrassed for you, first of all. Second, unless you've spent 24-7 praying and evangelizing, you have no excuse not to have seen the outlaw Josie Wells. And what happens is Clint Eastwood plays a soldier who's been set up for a crime he did not commit, and he's being pursued by all these other soldiers to try to get him and hang him and, 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 and you know, try to blame it all on him. And so he's running from them. He's got a buddy, and he's running from them. So he's on the run. He's trying to get to Mexico. He pulls in this little town, gets supplies, then he gets on a ferry to get across the river. He gets to the other side. The soldiers are hot on his trail. They wait for the ferry, and they're like, let's just go get him. Let's see what happens. He's going to try to pick us off one by one. He'll never do it. At best, he'll get two or three up front there. I advise you to turn back, Captain. They're coming. can shoot all those men down before they shoot you? Oh, no, no, Mr. Josie Wales. There is such a thing in this country called justice. Well, Mr. Carpetbagger, we got something in this territory called the Missouri Boat Ride. isn't it? Next time you feel like making a rush decision and you hear this little voice go, I advise you to turn back. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through the outlaw Josie Wells telling you, slow your roll, come on back. Um, so, all right, if patience, you need patience, and patience is peace plus time, how do you get the peace? Time is on your side, to quote the Rolling Stones, but how do you get peace? The answer is very simple and yet very, very hard. It's like people, when I lost, I lost 70 pounds, and people are like, how did you do it? I'm like, I ate less and I did more. Simple answer. Doing it, however, much more difficult. Same thing here. Answer to get peace, you pray a lot. You pray a lot. A lot. Now, here's something that may surprise you but shouldn't if you think about it for a second. Studies have found that people who pray more think more clearly and are physically healthier. Now, that shouldn't surprise you because that's how God designed us to be. And if we are as God designed us to be, we're going to be better. Are we not? He designed us to be in communication with him. That's how we were designed. And when I say pray, here's the deal. Two things. First, 
we have to clear something up here. When you pray, and some of you heard me say this again, drop the whole idea that God the Father has some kind of virgin ears where he's going to be shocked by what you say. And don't use the thee and the thous. Just don't. You don't need to lapse into Shakespearean English to talk to God. God understands modern English. And here's another thing. You're not going to shock God because God sees everything you do. Not only does he see everything you do, he knows everything you think. Oh. So you're not going to shock him. You're going to sit there and go, oh, thouest Lord, oh, you are most highest, that kind of stuff. He goes, oh, please, I saw you what you were thinking when you were driving through New Boston. Stop. <laughs> Let's talk. And that's what prayer is. It's talking with God. And that's all it is. And so you talk with God the same way you would talk with a good father because he says, that's how I want you to dress me. I am your father. You are an adopted child of mine. I'm your dad. You're my kids. Let's talk. And by the way, you are, I already know what you've done. Growing up with my parents who prayed a lot, somehow God always told them what I was doing, and that really ticked me off. I couldn't get away with anything. I remember my brother Brian warned me when I became a teenager. He said, let me tell you something about your parents. He said, I went off into the woods. I smoked my first cigarette. I went home, threw my clothes in the laundry, took a shower, sat down at the dinner table. Dad looks at me and goes, how was that cigarette, Brian? I'm like, what? <laughs> it's the same thing. God already knows. So talk and talk candidly and talk honestly and be brutally honest with God and just talk. But in order to do that, you're going to have to get to a place where you can do it privately. This is what you hear dad refer to as a prayer closet. You don't actually have to use a closet, by the way. Wherever you're comfortable in talking, if you have a dear friend, let me put it this way. If you have a dear friend that you confide in, where do you do that? So here's a story I heard, I think it was Brandon Manning said when he was teaching, some, he was, Brandon Manning or Thomas Merton, when he was teaching a guy to pray, a new Christian, he's trying to teach him how to pray. And so he talks to him about this and he says, okay, how do you talk to a dear friend when you have a problem? He said, well, I invite him over to my office. I tell him, secretary, hold my calls. I close the door, pull up a couple chairs. We sit down, chair to chair, and we sit there and talk. He said, okay, that's how you talk to God. You put aside a time every day. You tell the secretary to hold your calls. You lock the door. You pull up a chair in front of you. God is sitting in that chair. Talk. And that's what you do. He said, okay. So he started doing that every day. He said, now... He said, so how long do I do it? Like 5, 15, 20 minutes, hour? He said, well, okay, well, look, if you can do it for an hour, that's great. And some of the greatest Christian leaders, for whatever, have, have always shot for that hour. Billy Graham, all they, they like shoot for that hour. But if you're a beginner, don't shoot for that hour. Shoot for five minutes. Because I'm telling you right now, it's like running a marathon. Like we've got some folks gone this weekend because they're doing the Spartan race. If you don't run to train to go to that Spartan race... You're going to be puking during that Spartan race. You're not going to make it. You have to train the same way in prayer. You start with five minutes, and the next week you add it to seven minutes and so forth, and you go forward. And you get that time where you can just talk with God about anything you need to talk with him about, including decisions. Now, when you ask God for help in making a decision, 
understand this. The Bible says in the book of James that if you ask for wisdom, he will grant it. But he does not tell you when or how he will do that. It may be immediately. He may make you wait a month or six weeks because he, maybe he's teaching you to be patient. You don't know how that will come about. But he promises it will eventually. And he knows you better than you know yourself. So he'll do it at the right time. So you can ask him things. You can yell out frustrations at him. You can do all of that. All of that. It's just like talking with your father. And by the way, that man that Brandon Manning taught to pray that way, pull that chair up, lock the door, tell the secretary, he had a heart attack a few years later. You know where they found him? With his head in that chair, facing him. Talking with his father. He was talking with his father one moment, and he saw him the next. See, you're not going to learn from your past mistakes without prayer and patience. It's not going to happen. And prayer will give you that calm you need during that time to be patient so that things become clearer. See, here's the sad thing. We have a tendency only to learn from the mistakes we make in areas of life that don't matter. I'll give you an example. Games. You play a game, you make a mistake, you typically try not to make that mistake again. But it's a game. So, for example, some of you play golf. I don't understand why you play golf. I have no desire to play golf. It's expensive, it's hot, and it's frustrating. If I wanted to spend a lot of money to get a sunburn and be frustrated, I'd buy season tickets to the Reds. <laughs> At least you can have some peanuts. I mean, but it, this is what we do. We, we make mistakes in, this, in, our, in our big areas of life, relationships, finances, jobs, and churches. I mean, there is actually, if you read a lot of church leadership literature, you're going to come across a phrase called church hoppers. Church hoppers are people who change churches all the time, maybe once a year, once a year. And I know folks who have, I know folks who I, I love, I like, they're friends of mine, but they've been to one, two, three, four churches in five years as a home church. I see that all the time. And they're always thinking that, that they're eventually going to find that church. Here's the problem. If you find a perfect church, it's imperfect the moment you walk in. Because you're not perfect. And the people there aren't perfect either. Because they're all sinners. They're all selfish. We all struggle with selfishness. We all do. We all struggle with that. Every single one of us, from the elders and pastors all the way down, everybody struggles with sinfulness and selfishness. Everybody. We all do. And just jumping from church to church doesn't change that. You're just encountering a whole new batch of sinners. 
in any church is going to have conflict. Because you get enough people together, they're going to rub. I tell people all the time, I think the only thing keeping some churches together is lack of communication. It's the way it is. You need to take your time. You need to be at peace from prayer. And then there are a few other things we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks that need to come into play. You need to be open. You need to be optimistic. Like I said, we've all got a happy If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've got a happy ending. You need to be selfless. Dad will talk about this next week. Here's the problem when we get hurt. If we're hurt or confused, we get selfish. Do we not? And I'll prove it to you. Did you ever have a friend? I don't care if it was in high school all the way up to now. Did you ever have a friend who got dumped by somebody they really liked? What is the only thing that friend wants to talk about? All they want to talk about is themselves. You talk to them, it's always, yeah, I know, it's her fault, it wasn't your fault, I know, it was that way last week, it's going to be next week, I get it. We get selfish. It's almost like a defense mechanism we bring up. It's just there. And so the only way to break away from that selfishness is to be selfless. Because if you just wallow in selfishness, it just continues. So you have to be selfless. And you have to be steadfast, which means you have to stick to the word of God. Because I don't know how many times I've repeated this over the last couple weeks to people and the hundreds of phone calls I've had. Understand something. It is never, ever, 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 ever God's will to break God's word. God's word is perfect and forever. To break it is to sin. And sin is never God's will. That's just the way it is. Now, I've been there. I haven't always made great decisions. I, I have tried so hard. And it, I understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is easier said than done. You know, I got into fitness a couple years ago. I work out six days a week. And there's not a single time I still don't go into the gym where I, at some point I'm like, why am I doing this? I could really use a pizza right now. I get it. It's easy to get distracted. It's tough to stick to something. Some of you are going to start praying five minutes tomorrow, and then Tuesday you're going to forget. Here's what I'm telling you. Forgive yourself. Dust off your pants. Try again. Try again. And keep pressing forward. This is tough. It's easy for me to sit up here and go, guys, pray more. Guys, take your time. Guys, be optimistic. Guys, be selfless. But I understand why that's easy to understand. That's difficult to put into practice. It is. I guarantee you, no matter what you think or feel right now, some of you may be sitting there going, amen, Matt, and then you'll get in your car and somebody will cut you off in the parking lot. And there's that selfishness again. It's just there. It's just there. But I promise you I'm going to finish the next five minutes so we can beat everyone else to the restaurant. So you're going to be okay. Take your time. 
almost every bad decision I've made in my life, and I have made a lot of them. When I look back on my life, I don't know how I'm alive, to be honest. My high school buddies say to us, one of the first, first things, my, one of my best buddies, Steve Hamilton, always comes to me and goes, can you believe we're still alive? Like, no! Because in high school, I swear I thought, my mom thought, did I drop him on his head too many times? What happened? Did he crawl off the bed head first? What happened? Don't make rush decisions. Be prayerful. Be prayerful till you get peace and then pray even more. Because life will come rushing in again. I like the way I, I, I heard, I can't remember who said, I tried to find it this week. Somebody said he was talking to a guy and he said, you need to start praying during the day about five, set a time five minutes a day to pray. Start there. And the guy goes, I ain't got five minutes. He said, well, then you need two hours. And he's right. We need to pray more. That's what we were designed to do. We were designed to always be in communication with our Heavenly Father, whether through worship, whether through reading His Word, or whether through prayer. That is the one thing I guarantee you is God's will always. Always. So you need to keep that in mind. So folks, understand there are some tough days ahead for this congregation financially and so forth. So be it. So be it. It's time to man up, move forward, because the job is the same. Reach the lost, grow the saved, serve our master. And remember, always remember, because this is what this church is built around and has been for 47 years, being God's instrument to bring thousands of people to Christ, give thousands of people, make sure they had a Christmas, whether their parents were in prison or not, make sure hundreds of single parents had, had oil changes and haircuts and school supplies and all that kind of stuff. We have done all of that. Every month we pay somebody's rent who can't do it, somebody's electric, so make sure we do that all the time. But this church is built on one thing above anything else, and it is this. Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins. And if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You get eternity with God solely through his action on the cross. And we are to live in total gratitude for that all the time. And if we just could get that through our heads and we do that and we worship and we're faithful and we work hard, all keeping the cross at the center and remembering why we're working hard, because we have been saved despite ourselves, that God has been that gracious to do that for us, then we will grow. We will pay for the veterans chair. We will pay for the track chair. We will get Project Angel Tree done. We will get single parents fair. Done. We will make sure the Storm Bratchet Blood Drive thrives. That's so important. We will do that no matter what. Because God is good. And so is lunch. So let's pray and get to it. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these graduates. Just ask that you bless them and go with them. May they be re re reminded that no matter where they end up, 
and we do hope they get jobs. And so, but no matter where they end up, they remain faithful to you and keep what is most important at the center of their lives. We pray for reconciliation, but most of all, we pray for faithfulness, that we are faithful servants of you. We thank you for Tyler and Arizona's engagement. We pray for them. Most of all, we thank you for our salvation, which we cannot earn, and you have given to us freely. Thank you, Lord. And may all of us live in thanks every moment of every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. God go with you guys. Love you guys. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.